just start it with um some Beach Boys. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? That they don't get older. That's the sad thing. Oh. Oh no, God. It it would be nice. (laughs) I hope maybe they get dressed in the morning with birds and deer, at least. Yeah. Butterflies. Yeah. Yeah. I put in my teeth one at a time, just like everybody else, you know? (laughs) Oh my God. Oh no. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's it's fuck goddamn so sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this <laughs> one's gonna be a, a lot of information, so I hope you got your special information underpants on, because here we go. <laughs> Buckle up your I information. Buckle up those information <laughs> panties, because here we go. <laughs> <laughs> those information girders. Yeah. They say InfoWars, it's InfoWars now. Get those panties oh, on. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That'd be a great name for something. A porno. A porno. Yeah. Information hordes. Get some like just fucking hung Alex Jones you... looking porn star. Yeah. Y'all, have you seen the pornos? Have you seen the pornos where it's just a girl with like a fucking little action figure like GI Joe, and she's like. You're about to taste so good, but you're so measly. I'm disappointing. Oh well. Um, and then and she then eats it. Eats it, and then no. And then they cut it, and she pretends to swallow it. And the whole time she's swallowing it, she's saying what's happening in her organs and in her body, <laughs> like a giant. God, and dude, it's supposed no. to I've turn never seen- people the fuck on. And you gotta find it because it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh, I'm totally Holy finding it. Shit. <laughs> oh, you're passing passing into my colon, aren't you? Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ooh, that GI oh, tract. Ooh. Jesus Christ. There's a word for it. I mean, there's like a specific fetish for it name. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> Why are you so measly? <laughs> You little bitch. Oh, you little bitch. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, oh, there's gonna be a lot of little bitches uh, in this in this continuation of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And horrible men bitches. Yeah, a lot what of we're men, talking man about. babies, little, little, as we say. Little man baby bitches. Baby not the bitches. women. They're not bitches. Bitch, no, bitch babies. <laughs> well, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber. And here, just in the nick of time, is Heather Weber. Hi, I made it. Hi. (laughs) And joining us from what I'm assuming is a very smoky Los Angeles, Caitlin Weber. Oh my God, the sunsets are like, oh, that's really beautiful. But it's because it's, you know, smoke is covering up the sun and it's all red and crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the runoff. We, We really appreciate it over here. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I'm sure it's going to keep getting worse, so. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty bad here in Denver, but, uh, you know, we always keep in mind, like, how much worse it is on the other side of the mountains. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I hate I can't to say even imagine. it, but you know that the wildfires are just going to keep getting worse in California. Like, they're not going to get better. And I mean, yeah. there's just so many statistics and things about, you know, the overgrowth and it never being cleaned up or public work never doing it, invasive species of plants and all these different things that like why there is just too much for this climate and stuff and it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, just time kind of to move to like Maine. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes like a tinderbox. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm like the desert. You can't really burn too much out there. It's already, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty thing. dry. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's rough, man. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, fun. Her name is Rio and she dances <laughs> on the sand. <laughs> oh, it's hot. Oh, God, it's hot. Ouch. 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 Oh, oh, it's my toes. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Oh my goodness. Uh, so we have a lot of information in this episode. Um, this is part two of the Radium Girls. Uh, we originally were going to do two parts, but I think we are going to split up into three or four. It's a very in-depth story. so Yeah, it got away, uh, away from us just like Mary Shelley did. It really did, yeah. But this one I, say, I would say is a bit more interesting for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, the last one was pretty interesting. I don't know. And here at Under the Pendulum, we apologize for the Mary Shelley series. No, <laughs> no it was good. It just definitely, I think the last, definitely the last episode. It was just like you know, <sighs> yeah, it felt, it felt like it was dragging a little, you know, towards the end there. We're learning. It was just and like growing. it was. It was kind of like it's. It's a really good piece of bread or cracker, but it, then you don't have any water, and it's just too dry, and you got to keep chewing it and eating yep, it yep, and eating yep, it. Yeah, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. can't escape it, or else you're, you'll choke. <laughs> Someone did give us a compliment on the Mary Shelley series. Though. Oh, really? That's mm-hmm. good. That's nice. Yeah, what did yeah. they say? Oh, they said, "Oh, I really enjoyed the Mary Shelley series." Okay. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank I don't you. think I'm going to do hamster style anymore. <laughs> okay. Okay, son. That's What is that from again? Orgasmo. Um, oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, yeah. me now. You better make me come or I'm gonna kick kick your butt. butt. Oh, I love that. Did you hear that they bought Casa Bonita? Yeah. I Mm -hmm. did. It's exciting. Yeah. I I wonder I wonder if the food's gonna be better. Yes, Mm -hmm. I think that's important to them that it will be. Or they're just gonna serve McDonald's. Fuck it, I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck it, I'll go, man. So, yeah, I guess we should just kind of jump right in here since we got yeah. a lot to cover. Boy! Um, <laughs> oh, Jonathan Davis back in the studio. Oh, my God. Hi. <laughs> he likes some shiny radium girls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he would. He would. Also, yeah, he also would. known as Cybergirls. <laughs> Dirty old man. Yeah. So, in the last episode, we ended with the horrific death of Amelia Molly Magia uh, due to radium poisoning. Is that the one where she bled to death, essentially, in her bed? Basically choked on her own blood. Yeah, I was driving in traffic re-listening to that, and I was like, ooh, 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 that is special. It is one of the worst (laughs) ways to go Yeah, that I could think of, yeah. So, Dr. Samoltowski, he had suggested in a report that he believed that radium was the cause of illness in some of the girls who worked in the radium dial studios. And in Ottawa, Illinois, USRC had just opened another studio and began employing young girls, teaching them the lip-pointing technique. Great. Yep, so we all know, probably know where this is going. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bigger, fuller, sexier lips. <laughs> and detachable. Oh. Do you want to be Mrs. Potato Head? <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) So while the new dial girls in Ottawa were glowing about their new job, things in Orange, New Jersey were steadily getting worse. Grace Fryer, one of the Orange girls, was beginning to experience symptoms that would become all too familiar and deadly. Her foot was aching something fierce, and after a tooth extraction, her mouth failed to heal and pustules began to form, leaking pus into her mouth. Ooh. So her doctors assured her that they would be able to sort it all out. After all, she had health insurance. But she might have been more skeptical if she knew that in Newark, New Jersey, Irene Rudolph's health was getting worse and worse. And not only that, but she was also becoming destitute from the medical bills that were beginning to pile up. Yeah, this would happen a lot, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, these the women and their families are just doing, I mean, doing anything they can to try to find some sort of cure or or just something. But they didn't know what it was. So they're throwing all this money at it. Yeah. I mean, like one woman's father basically gives all his retirement saving into trying to save her. They mortgage their houses. I mean, they, they just do all these things. And I mean, it's it's kind of all in vain. Yeah. In the end, really. Yeah, it's, it's fucking horrible. So things were moving quickly in New Jersey. Helen Quinlan died on June 3, 1923, at the age of 22, from what doctors hesitantly said was a bacterial disease called Vincent's angina. I mean, a little sexy, but no, just, just for a second. <laughs> so like Molly, she also had essentially just choked to death on her own blood. Uh, That's not yeah. sexy at all. No. So then Irene herself dies on July 15th, 1923, at the age of 21. The doctors thought it was from phosphorus poisoning. Her cousin Catherine Schaub was devastated. As Moore writes, quote, She knew Irene had spoken to Dr. Allen about her fears that her sickness had been caused by her job, but since then the family had heard nothing. They didn't know the names John Roach, who's from the Department of Labor, or Dr. Samoltowski. They knew nothing of the doctor's verdict following his tests. In fact, after reviewing Samoltowski's report and that of the two inspectors, the Department of Labor took no action. So Catherine went to the Department of Health herself and told them about her cousin's death and that of Molly's. She told them of her suspicions that her company, United States Radium Corporation, had something to do with the deaths and illnesses. Her complaint was filed, but after a follow-up with VP Veit from USRC, uh, he told them that her claims were untrue, and no further action was taken after that. All right. Yeah. An orange <laughs> health officer by the name of Lenore Young finally looked into Catherine Schaub's complaint. She found the death records of the two girls, Molly Maggia and Helen Quinlan, and found that the death certificate cited syphilis and Vincent's angina, respectively as the causes of their deaths. She tried to get in touch with the company, and in her words, quote, I tried to get in touch with Vite, but he was out of town. I let the matter drop. It has been neglected, but not out of my mind entirely. Oh my god, you know that a secretary just picked up the phone and said who it was. 
or what it was about. And he's all like, tell them I'm out of town. Tell them I'm here. Tell them dead. You know, USRC, what do you want? Yeah. Tell them I'm dead and yeah, I'll be back exactly. in the office on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and as would become a familiar occurrence, more girls began to fall ill. Hazel Vincent, working in the Orange Studio, began to decline rapidly. After getting married and giving birth, she started having terrible pains in her bones. The doctors treated her for pyorrhea. It is pyorrhea, by the way. Yep. It is. Uh, Yep. So the doctors treated her for pyorrhea, and teeth were being extracted one by one. She had to leave her job as the pain was becoming too much to bear. As Hazel's medical bills became another source of trouble, Marguerite Carlo and Catherine Schaub also became ill. And as always, it began in the mouth. Catherine went to the same dentist as Irene, Dr. Barry. He noticed that her teeth were also, quote, flinty and broke easily. He added in her file, quote, patient has been employed in radium work in orange. Same place as Miss Rudolph. Flinty teeth skeeves me out so much. That oh, descriptor. Oh, God. I, I, I know, like, flinty. Is it, oh. Just brittle-like sort of thing. Like, yeah. Fight or something. Yeah, like fucking... Um, like flint rock. Yeah, like, like, yeah, or like shale or flint rock. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine, though? Like, I mean, I don't know. Being a 20, 20-year-old, like, between the ages of 18 to your early 20s, you're like, you're a young, beautiful girl, and you're fucking rotting to death i know that's horrible night yeah it's the worst thing imaginable yeah and yeah you just became a woman you're just like oh my god that's so horrible oh yeah it really is yeah and it's like in this it it always starts in the mouth you know in teeth and it's like i mean i i don't know that's a very self-conscious place to start getting like for it to start deteriorating you know i mean it's like your smile it's how you talk to people you know your teeth are yeah, yeah, oh yeah, horrible breath, pus just constantly like oozing when it gets really bad. Yeah. God damn. Oh, yeah. So Catherine Schaub also couldn't help but think of Irene and radium. She became more nervous that she would suffer the same fate as her cousin Helen, and more recently, Catherine O'Donnell. Catherine's mental state began to deteriorate as a result. Yeah. So like we're really early into all this, and I mean, girls are just they're dropping, you know, yeah. like yeah. left and right. It's wild. I was yeah, they just are. Thinking, I don't know if I, I don't think I could mentally handle it. I don't think I could. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, she's, it's just, I, I don't know if it's the paranoia or the fear, but yeah, I mean, she just starts to, you know, I mean, kind of lose it a little. Uh, it, and oh, understandable. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you don't know what's seeing, happening to you. You don't know, but, but you, but you kind of know that my coworkers are getting sick. Some of my coworkers are dying or leaving. Like there's something happening yeah. here, you know. But you're also like getting that reassurance from the higher ups that it's perfectly safe and like yep. of course you're going to latch on to that. Oh, well, it can't, you know, it can't be that. Yeah, they they, they, they said tre- it wasn't. They treat me so well. Why why would they lie? Yeah. You know. Ugh. Despicable. Yeah, it really is. So as as more girls began showing symptoms and more girls passed away, USRC put out a ban on lip in pointing quotes. in late 1923. Yep. It's <laughs> an air quote ban. <laughs> yep. They cited that the acids in their saliva were weakening the paint, never even hinting that it might be dangerous to the girls. They lie. Yeah. They lie. Well, you know what's really shitty about that, too? It's like 
your dirty saliva is ruining the, you know, it's just like, of course it's your fault. The, it's the accusing them blood. of doing yeah. something wrong. Yeah. Blaming. <clears throat> yeah, it's Fuckers. super fucked. So Marguerite Carlo, she tried to abide by these new orders, even though she was also suffering from pains in her bones and mouth. And as time went on, she was unable to eat and lost weight at a rapid pace. She too had to leave work in December of 1923. Marguerite went to the dentist about her two painful teeth, and when the doctor tried to extract them, quote, a piece of decayed jawbone came out too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, God, dude, just fucking worse, man. Yeah, man. Yikes so, <laughs> Yikes a roo. Yikes a roony. I was thinking yikes a roony. Yeah. That's just when you have, like, a bunch of crushed up light bulbs and you're fucking stroking off or something. <laughs> they might fucking as well have, I mean, syringes really. Syringes and shit off of the street. <laughs> <laughs> so what none of the girls and their families knew that Christmas was that the U.S. Public Health Services issued a report. Quote, Though it noted that no serious defects had been found among the staff and examined, it revealed that there had been two cases of skin erosion and one case of anemia among the nine technicians studied. As a result, it made a formal recommendation to the nation. Safety precautions, the report said, should most definitely be undertaken by those handling radium. The girls in Ottawa were not only ignorant of this report, but of anything happening in New Jersey. The girls were loving their new job and invited family members and friends to work at the Radium Dial studio. The girls had fun and their boss, Assistant Superintendent Mr. Reed, seemed to make it a lovely place to work. They took a company photograph together, all the girls and some of the company bosses. They had no idea what was to come and how many of them in the photograph would be gone from the world. They all look so cute in that picture, too. I know. What is, I, it? I, what is it? It's just them in a group photo of the radium dial of all the women. And they're and cute some of the bosses. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, and it's, it's really early on. So they're all they're all smiling. And, you know, and, and they always said how great of a great a place it was to work. So, you know, you just see you see all these girls like in a really good place in their life. And it's just I mean. In the documentary you watched and in the book, they bring up the photograph a lot because it is really that stark contrast between, like, these young, vibrant, like, you know, se- seemingly happy girls oh um, and just, you know, the horror that is going to follow. It's, <gasps> yeah. There's so many of them. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back in Newark, New Jersey, Dr. Barry had his hands full. More girls came into his office, all showing familiar signs. He still believed that it was something in the girls' occupation that was causing the issues, now occurring in epidemic-like proportions. Like Dr. Neff, from the last episode, Dr. Barry began to refuse treatment to the girls unless they quit their job. These threats made it to the ears of the USRC bosses. Oh, they're like, hell no. Yeah. Uh Uh-uh. this needed to be stamped out quickly, as business was going great. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it really I like with this story. I I always think of that kind of stereotypical image of like, you know, big fat like men in suits and they're just on big with piles cigars. of money. Yeah, and like a top yeah. hat monocle. And just like, <laughs> 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 yeah, 
I know. I have a caviar shipment coming in. <laughs> Sweep these corpses under the pile of money. Exactly. Exactly. It's not too far off. Nah, it's it's just always what I think, yeah. As Moore writes, quote, President Arthur Roeder's company had contacts with the U.S. Navy and Army Air Corps, as well as many hospitals and physicians. Undark was by now considered the standard material for government use. Evidently, the firm wanted nothing to get in the way of all these business opportunities, end quote. So USRC wrote to their insurance in an attempt to get ahead of these rumors. They wrote, There recently have been rumors and comments made by individuals, particularly dentists, in which they claim... <laughs> in which they claim work in our application department is hazardous and has caused injury and poor health to a former operator of ours, probably Marguerite Carlo. And they are advising that the other of our operators should discontinue being in our employ. <laughs> from their standpoint, many of the doctors believed the girls suffered from fossy jaw, and they knew there was no phosphorus in their paint. So they were fine there. And only four girls had died out of the nearly a thousand they had employed. Or at least only four were investigated. Wow. And the cause of those four deaths were plainly outlined on their death certificates. Pneumonia, Vincent's angina, syphilis, and a genetic disorder had killed those girls. The company thus concluded, We do not recognize that there is any such hazard in the occupation. Some of the former employees didn't feel the same. A meeting was held in Dr. Barry's office with Catherine Schaub, Marguerite Carlo, and Josephine and Genevieve Smith. They all agreed that there was a connection between their occupations and the illnesses and deaths. And it seemed that other doctors were still puzzled by the high volume of girls they were seeing. But no one was sharing notes with one another, so they often saw these girls as isolated cases. Hazel and her husband spent what little money they could muster up to see a specialist, Dr. Bloom. He had never seen anything like Hazel's case. The pus bags in her mouth made her face swollen, and her jawbone had literal holes in it. He also tried to examine the radium paint, but had no luck there. In the end, Dr. Bloom said there was nothing he could really do but make her comfortable. He saw no chance of recovery for Hazel. So many things don't get done just because it gets buried under all this bureaucratic bullshit. You know, yep. like the like these doctors or, or doctor offices don't talk to each other, don't share notes, um, even though they're like in the same city sometimes. It's almost like the same with uh, police stations, especially like in the 70s, you know, like 70s, 80s, um, mm -hmm. you know, where they, you know, precincts wouldn't talk to each other or mm -hmm. it would be like an open competition and then... You know, like with serial criminals. killers, yeah, criminal serial killers, like they yes. operate for years after because mm -hmm. nobody's yeah. talking to each other. Yeah, and yeah. they want to take the fucking case and be the heroes, but they're not. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's exactly mm -hmm. like that. It's so frustrating how yeah. it used to go on so rampantly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was not to say that some weren't trying to raise the alarm. Someone had written to the Department of Labor about these concerns, calling for another look at the complaints. They looked at Lenore Young's recommendation that the public health service get involved, but they ultimately decided that there was insufficient evidence to go further. They gave the plant a 
clean bill of health and didn't look into the matter any further. I, I always wonder, I, I also kind of wonder like about like underhanded payments or, you know, like under the table payments that might oh, have sure. happened and just it never even, no one ever talked about, you know, it just oh, like wasn't course. even on a record, you know, it's, it's just wild to think, I guess, I guess things slip through the cracks again, uh, you know, with all this bureaucratic, like layers of bureaucratic bullshit, but yeah, it just seems like you get all these alarms and it just keeps, they just keep being like, you know, oh, well, well. You know, dude, like it's kind of a pattern in like our deadly blunders and disasters, like human caused disaster series. It's always like these layers and layers and layers of things where there's fair warning. People know shit's going down. Mm-hmm. It, it's obvious something is bad is going to happen. Yeah. And they just ignore it until it does. Mm-hmm. People are yeah, stupid like- as fuck. They're like, man, that's just, that's inconvenient. That's going to be so much paperwork. It's expensive. Yeah, I don't want to do it. Well, and if someone's got a lot of pull, they don't want to piss them off or anything. Like, it's just that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, it's just that that kind of, um, what was it, the niceties back then really let let people get away with a lot of things as well. Oh, like kind of like the social... Um, contracts and stuff like, like mores that. yeah yeah like yeah. like oh, oh we don't make a we don't talk about this so yeah. like women shouldn't make a big deal about stuff you know uh-huh. like about like you got guys. a job lady what do you yeah exactly well don't mouth <laughs> off lady god yeah exactly sick usrc however was starting to get some backlash many girls were quitting and hiring more was becoming more difficult due to what they call rumors <laughs> great album <laughs> Oh, yeah. They were all <laughs> fucking each other. <laughs> <laughs> Fleetwood Mac style. <laughs> but that wasn't all. Hazel's mother, Grace Vincent, had been watching her daughter's terrible decline and wrote to the company that she was, quote, about to make a claim for compensation on account for her daughter's illness, unquote. USRC could not let this happen they decided to conduct their own investigations. So one really cool thing about this story, I think, is like, you know, these are all like small town, you know, girls or, you know, just like, you know, like they're just young girls most of the time. And it's them going mm-hmm. up against these huge corporations or like, you know, it's it's just it, it's kind of a cool story in that way. It really is uh, kind of like an underdog story at uh, the end yeah. of the well, day. and then they're turned into disfigured fucking mutants that are like the walking dead i'm sure that that probably helped their case a little bit oh absolutely yes. yeah yeah yes, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll see that towards the last um court case that we'll cover which is it's yeah. gonna be pretty pretty much the end of the story for the most part but so fucking mm-hmm. brutal yeah it's yeah the president of usrc arthur roder decided to lead this investigation and enlisted Dr. Cecil Drinker, a professor of physiology at Harvard, for his expertise. Drinker was an authority on occupational diseases. Roder wrote to Drinker that he believed that the paint had nothing to do with the deaths and illness, but an investigation was essential nonetheless. After all, the slowing of production due to the girls quitting, and their trouble with hiring more, was hurting business. Oh, you hurting your little boy, hurting your business. Oh, oh my no. God. Rumors. People's jaws are falling off. I, I bet I bet Dr. Drink, Drinker's uh, favorite joke at like a party was like, 
my name's Drinker, but I'm not a drinker. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. I know. It's all right. <laughs> no, I mean, I just have that was my name. I, you know, I'd have a like a fucking arsenal of drinking jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they also needed to address the hysteria that was now beginning to run through the studios as the rumors of deaths and illnesses were spread. While they needed Drinker's report to assuage the girls' concerns, they also knew they had to stop these rumors. And the biggest culprit was dentist Dr. Barry. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Foiled. <laughs> Veit went to see Barry and his partner, Dr. Davison, in March of 1924. The dentists were not impressed with the VP. They absolutely believed that the company was responsible for all this trouble, and they did not hide their disgust with the VP and USRC. Oh, dude, it's about to get stanky up in here, Well, and not only that, but, like, as a dentist, to have had done that in your career... Multiple times? a young girl's... Not even an old person. A young girl's jaw out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fuck, that'll fuck you up, I bet. I bet they're pissed. And then this fucking VP comes in, like, I bet I can make these guys play ball, you know? It's, It's... and they they are just not having that shit. Yeah. Like these guys That's are fucking great. cool. Yeah, these guys are awesome. That's great. Davidson told Vite that he was cold blooded and that quote, "You ought to close down the plant. You've made 5 million dollars. Why go on killing people for more money? If I could have my way, I would close your plant." Woo! <laughs> Get him. Mm-hmm. Veit knew they were not going to play ball. And these doctors were not the only ones being a thorn in USRC's side. The Orange Health Officer, Lenore Young, seeing nothing being done about the claims against USRC, found a new invigoration for the case. She reached out to Catherine Wiley, the head of the New Jersey branch of the Consumers League, a group that worked to better the working conditions of women. Wiley set out to conduct her own investigations. Dude, this chick's like fucking Aaron Brockovich, like OG style. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Dr. Drinker, his wife and colleague, Catherine Drinker, and another associate, Dr. Castle, began their investigation. That's such a fucking cool name. (laughs) Castle? Dr. Castle? Hell yeah, dude. That's fucking sweet. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that's like a good villain's name. (laughs) Mad scientist. They were shown the facilities and went to see some of the girls for themselves, including Marguerite Carlo. She was in terrible shape, mostly confined to her home. Her sister was with her, and she too worked at the plant. She now walked with a cane. Dr. Drinker was astonished by Marguerite's condition. She was pale, thin, had pain in her bones and face, and used a bandage to seep up the oozing pus in her cheeks. Yeah, like, and, and that was a common thing too. It's like the the pustules would be so bad, it, it would they almost constantly leaked pus. Yeah, the girls would have to almost constantly have a bandage or something to to soak top it up because it just yeah, it's oh my god, dude, brutal man. I, that would just brutal. make me go fucking insane, you know? know. Like, oh I, yeah, me too. yeah, me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, don't look at me. Oh, I know, dude, Jesus. I would probably kill myself, like, no joke. Like, if it got advanced enough, I would probably end it. 
yeah, we may never know the number of girls who like actually probably might have done did. that. Yeah. yeah, might might have done that. I just I just gotta take take a call back real quick. Take it back, everybody. It's a pretty good time to be alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shit seems yep. pretty bad right now, but uh But it's you know. not. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. The further yep. and further we get into all these stories that we've been telling, that becomes apparent. So the drinkers found and read the various studies that had been published about the dangers of radium. The drinkers also found that everyone of authority at the company seemed unconcerned and callous to what was happening. They continued their investigation by examining more girls. They took blood samples, studied their mouths, and even saw how much the girls glowed in the dark. They were shocked. The girls glowed brightly in the dark room as the paint on their bodies shone. It was everywhere. Yeah, they're just like covered in in this in the paint. Yeah, like basically, or, or like the dust, the dust and stuff from the, the dust. Yeah, yeah, the dust. Yeah, yeah. Like, w- like like women that had recently been working or long after that they had worked there. Uh, uh both. I think. I think they. Uh, or I don't. Know. Yeah, yeah. I think it was both. Yeah, because some of the girls had left already, but they went to go see them, and they also studied girls who were currently working there. Yeah, and I think it was like almost impossible to wash the stuff off. They would scrub yeah. and scrub and scrub and just couldn't get it off. Mm-hmm. The drinkers also saw Dr. Barry and his patients. Marguerite, by this time, had stopped seeing Barry and instead went to Dr. Neff, who was now learning a great deal about the illness. Neff was seeing Marguerite for free, as she had no money for the expenses, and she was looking frighteningly close to death. Marguerite was alarmingly pale and emaciated, but she was also in great pain from the constant discharge of foul pus in her mouth. Dr. Neff had known for a while that there was a connection between USRC and the girl's decline. He had even kept a piece of Molly Magia's jawburn. <laughs> <laughs> jawburn. You, that sounded legit New Zealand accent. <laughs> jawburn. 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 <laughs> He had even kept a piece of Molly Maggia's jawbone for further study, but when he believed he had learned all he could from it, he placed it in a drawer with some x-ray negatives. Doctor's fucking weird, man. Yeah. One day, he opened the drawer, and he found that a fogginess had stained the normally black negatives. He was perplexed on how this could happen. The only things in the drawer were the piece of bone and some files. He did not know it at the time but the jawbone still contained radiation that had affected the negatives. Just the radiation off the bones was able to... Turn that shit white. Yeah, the the rays were enough to... Yeah, fucking crazy. Off of a dead jawbone. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. It's nutty. Yeah, and in the the documentary Heather and I watched, it was was called... uh, It was just called The Radium Girls, right? Radium City, I think. Oh, Radium City. I was from the '80s, but um, one of the guys who lived in in um, Ottawa, I think it was in Ottawa, Illinois. He bought like a Geiger counter, which can detect radiation, mm-hmm. and he. I think they said they went to some of the graves, and yes. you would still get a reading from from the grave from the graves of yeah. these radium girls. There was wow. just there's that like that much. Yeah, it's it's wild. Oh, I love that guy too. The documentary. Oh, he's great. Yeah. What <laughs> is it watching. on? Yeah. Like YouTube? Uh, Vimeo. Yeah, we had to find it on Vimeo, and you have to like pay for it. But yeah, you can $2. do like a like a tr- 
Yeah, but you could do like a trial, like a 30 day trial and then just cancel. Oh, yeah, okay. that's true. You know, if, if, yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do. <laughs> so in May of 1924, Catherine Wiley went to visit Marguerite Carlo. Marguerite was excited that she was feeling better, but she still looked sickly to Wiley. Wiley was reeling from the state of the girl she saw. She wrote, quote, After seeing one of the victims, I can never rest until I have seen something done whereby I am assured it will not happen again. She resolved to, quote, stick to this thing until there is some action somewhere. She went to see a judge about how the girls may be able to take legal action. She was not encouraged by what she learned. There was a new law in New Jersey that allowed for compensation for industrial diseases, but only nine diseases were cited as compensable, and nobody knew about radium poisoning just yet. Yeah. There was also the matter of a statute of limitations that a claim had to be made five months after getting sick. But because radium poisoning can work so slowly, some of the girls had not been employed by USRC for some time, even years. So to the law, there was nothing that could be done. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure they're thinking like, oh, they they pulled a muscle. I mean, what would a compensable disease be like? That would be reported within five months. That just seems. They just didn't know. I mean, you guys, what is this, the 20s still? Because, like, yeah. they just mm-hmm. started having amnesia and, like, successful surgeries only, like, within the last, like, fucking 20, what, 15 years? Yeah. 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 It's so true. crazy. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I, 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 they didn't list what the nine were, but, you know. I mean, it was probably things like Fosse Jaw and, you know, like stuff that they that they knew already from like the early industrial. Sure. sure. Well, actually, I guess I guess this is probably in the late stage, right? Because like the Industrial Revolution happens in like mid 1800s. Some people say like late 1700s. But, you know, then you're talking decades until people find out what's actually happening to workers after being, you know, exposed to these conditions for so long. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's the same today with, like, foods and medications where you don't know sometimes for 20, 30, 50 years what it's going to do to you. Yeah. And then you find out. Yeah. That's right. So Marguerite also wanted to take legal action against her old company to be compensated for the money she had spent on treatments and doctor visits. Yeah. Like Hazel's family, though, no lawyer seemed willing to take their cases. Wiley was called in by her boss, who was furious she had been conducting an informal investigation. And after an intense interaction with the commissioner of the Department of Labor about her investigations, she once more argued for a formal investigation by the department. That was just stereotypical police chief boss kind of thing. Like, you're out of line kind of thing. Like, oh, they're going to have my neck for this. God damn it. Damn it, Wiley. I'll have your badge. The, the mayor's breathing down my neck. He's on my ass. Like, exactly. You're a loose cannon. You're <laughs> a loose cannon, Wiley. Hey, what's up, chief? I'm just doing my job. What's the deal, chief? <laughs> you want a burger? <laughs> God damn it. So USRC would do something to hamper Wiley's efforts. The drinkers had finalized their report on June 3rd, 1924. On June 18th, VP Vite wrote to the Department of Labor and shared the drinkers' report. 
Well, some of it. The report mm-hmm. was long. So Vite shared a table of the medical examination results on the girls, pointing out the blood tests had shown practically normal blood work. Vite told the department that their results were no different from any other industrial worker, and the department agreed. They cleared USRC. With this ruling, the rumors and anxieties seemed to subside, and the company told the studios of the results from the investigations. The sufferings of the girls, however, did not subside. Dr. Bloom wrote to the company for financial assistance for his patient, Hazel. Though he believed that radium was the cause of her illness, he tried to appeal to their humanity by pleading to them to help Hazel, a former loyal employee. And just, it just in any way they could, he's just like, please, just do something. Like, you have the money. He clearly overestimated them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> USRC quickly denied any wrongdoing, saying they had the drinker report to prove it and that they would not be lending any assistance to their former employee. Fuckers. Yeah. I love the line that he comes back with because uh, it's it's like this longer this whole long thing where they're just being like, oh, it's not our fucking problem. Like, so we're so sorry, but, uh, you know, she doesn't work for us anymore. And he's I can't remember what the line is, but he's like, he's like, I, I'm disgusted to see that you failed to see the humane part of my question or of my yeah. like statement. It was oh, God, I wish I could remember. It was like so good in that like kind of old timey like glove slap away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Catherine Schaub was getting no relief either. Coincidentally, she went to consult Dr. Bloom. He noted the same swollen jaw and pockets of pus that burst at even the slightest probing. Then Catherine ran into Hazel at Bloom's office, and she was shocked. Hazel's face was swollen, and as Moore describes, she had, quote, literal footballs of fluid sprouting from her jaws. And after I saw the Fosse jaw um, pictures, like it's it is really it's fucking huge. I mean, mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. like a softball size sometimes, mm-hmm. like how how much it gets swollen. <laughs> Hazel's face and mouth were so bad that she could not talk. Her mother, Grace, was with her and told Catherine that they had been seeing Bloom for six months. Dr. Bloom then went in front of the American Dental Association about what he had been experiencing with his patients. It was short, but he mentioned what he called radium jaw for the first time in medical literature. But his address went mostly unnoticed. Shocking. Yeah, well, it was also, it was, like, very specialized, like, what yeah. what it was under. So, because it's like, I mean, how many of us read articles from the dental association yeah so it's it only goes out to a a small you know population of like academics and it's so specialized that it may even be smaller than that so yeah someone's just reading it at breakfast somewhere across the country and they're like that's fucked up yes please more toast you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) "Hmm, okay (laughs) is that radium water Mm." (laughs) pass the radium butter darling Oh, no. I mean butter, butter, butter. Just but, butter. but yes. Oh God, just butter. <laughs> <laughs> so then on December 9th, 1924, Hazel finally succumbed to the radium in her body. She was 25 years old. Her body was in such a horrific condition when she died that her family would not allow people to view the body as it was too, it just was too hard to look on or to look upon. Oh. The family was also on the hook for $125,000 in medical bills. 
medical bills that were all in vain. What is this, the 1920s still, or is this almost 1930? It's still 1924. That is so much money back well, then. So that's 125000 in today's money. Um, I, I oh, just, I, see, I, 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 see. I did the, um, Oh, you converted it. Okay. Yeah, I was I did gonna the say, that's like, that's like nearly a trillion dollars. I mean, that's, I mean, <laughs> even in today's dollars. money, that's fucking That's insane. a lot. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a house. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or at least a hell of a down payment. <laughs> yeah. A house in not Denver. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. In like 2005. Oh God, don't even talk to me about it, Los Angeles. You can't even look at houses. Just don't even look at them. Just spit in your face. Exactly. You got a down payment for looking at that house, huh? Pretty fucking much. Might as well. Better take a mortgage out on those eyes, too. You can stop looking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine Wiley was becoming infuriated and frustrated at the authorities dragging their feet on the issue. So she contacted industrial toxicologist Dr. Alice Hamilton, who worked with Drinker at Harvard, and Dr. Frederick Hoffman, another specialist in industrial diseases. And she basically just asked them to participate in another investigation, and they both agree. Great. They did not know of the Drinker's report yet, as Roeder had kept it mostly hushed, and Drinker did not officially or publicly publish his, his findings. He he like he thought that he needed Rotor's consent, maybe because it was a investigation done, like, it's like by the company. By the company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was trying to find a way to explain that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's been a long day. Yeah. No, but yeah. So <laughs> I I don't really know you know why he did. That's the only thing I could only reason I would think of. Um, yeah. So yeah, because I think they also uh, USRC paid for the investigation. Yes, they did. So Dr. Hoffman began visiting Marguerite, and he was also, I say shocked a lot because they all were, he was <laughs> yeah. shocked by what he saw. Just where they're just like, oh, pleasure to meet you, you know, like just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. Is that whipped cream on that salad? <gasps> <gasps> How much for a beer? <gasps> <laughs> so he wrote to Rotor himself saying that he feels the company was absolutely guilty of willful negligence and that their guilt would be would be known in time. Marguerite Ooh. Oh, I know, y'all. Mark my words, their guilt mm. will be known in time. <laughs> flip exactly. the cape. You gotta flip the cape. Flip that cape. <laughs> Marguerite finally finds a lawyer to take her case, and she goes ahead with suing USRC for $1 million in today's money. Booyah! Dang. Nice. nice. Yeah, so she's the first one who, like, uh, of the employees who... Really gets it kicking off. Yeah, she, she goes toe-to-toe. She's like, I'm fucking doing this. So, yeah, Look she's, at yeah, me. She's, yeah. <laughs> Look at me, motherfucker. What was wrong with Marguerite's face by this time? She just had the pussy sockets and stuff. And Yeah, that, that's generally how it started. It was either bone pain or it started in the mouth, um, sometimes yeah. simultaneously. Um, she she had it real bad, I remember. Yeah. She, she, she was getting it all. Yeah. The hip pain, the leg pain, jaw, pus, all of it. Back in Ottawa, during the spring of 1925... Things were going swimmingly for the radium dial company. They were cranking out watches, and the girls were none the wiser about things in New Jersey. 
and the company wanted to keep it that way. But to cover their asses, they decided to have the girls medically examined. They did not examine all of the girls, though. Catherine Wolfe was among the girls not tested. Radium dials seemed to only test girls who were healthy and were not outwardly presenting any symptoms. Catherine hadn't been feeling great as of late. She was having pains in her hip and ankle, and now limped a little. She had only been working for the company for two years. The company never shared their findings with the girls. And when a government inspector came to the studio, he asked about the lip pointing and rumors of illness. The superintendent, Miss Murray, told the inspector, quote, I've never heard of any illness which might in the slightest manner be caused by the work, end quote. In fact, she went on, quote, Instead of proving detrimental to the health of the girls, I know of several who had seemingly derived benefit from it and showed decidedly physical improvement. It made them superwomen. <laughs> Just like, Bitch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well. The inspector found the girls were healthy, but still had suspicions. Due to lack of funding and hard evidence, they closed the investigation, which only had lasted three weeks. The company did try to figure out another alternative to the lip-pointing technique, but only half-heartedly. Yeah, they tried to bring in, like, because Europe was using these, like, glass... Um, I don't know you would call Tip them. Pens. They're, yeah, they're like these glass kind of pens to, to put the uh, radium on the number dial so the women would have to actually touch them. Um, and they, like, tried it, but it just... It just didn't work out, or they Wasn't were as like, it, it, yeah, they're like, it's wasting too much paint. So they pretty much just let them go back to lip pointing. Yeah, and it wasn't as accurate as, as yeah, what that they could too. do with the tip of the brush. Mm hmm. Oh my that, God. Yeah. Back in Jersey, Marguerite's lawsuit was giving USRC bad publicity. This hurt the company even more as workers dwindled. They had banned lip pointing, but the damage was done. USRC's lawyers tried to get the case thrown out, citing that Marguerite's complaint was not one of the nine compensable diseases and should be taken up with the Workmen's Compensation Bureau. That's somebody else's fucking problem. It's not ours. Right? <laughs> but the judge did not agree and set the case to go before a jury. Things seemed to get worse for Roeder as Hazel's family joined the suit. Hoffman also worried Roeder. Hoffman's investigation was narrowed to talking with doctors and the girls who were ill. He found the same story repeated over and over again. Problems with the mouth and bones. Hoffman was convinced that radium was to blame and was going to publish his findings publicly. This was something Roder could not let happen. And he also had incriminating photos of Roder. <laughs> <laughs> Patty cake. <laughs> <laughs> Who framed Roger Rabbit? That's a good one, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> the deep cut. <laughs> oh, shit. Roder did not know that Von Sahaki had written to Hoffman, stating that, quote, the disease in question is, without a doubt, an occupational disease. This was more validation to Hoffman that his belief in the dangers of radium were correct. Dr. Hamilton and Wiley both learned of the drinker report, and that it was being stifled by USRC. Though the company was telling its employees that the report found nothing linking radium with illnesses, this wasn't the whole truth. The drinkers stated in the report that, quote, 
In our opinion, so great an incidence among these employees of this unusual disease cannot be a coincidence, but must be dependent on some type of bone damage occasioned by the employment. End quote. The drinkers had seemed to piece things together how radium affected the body by attacking the bones. When they had stated in the report that some of the blood samples showed practically normal blood, a statement which the USRC had latched onto, that wasn't the whole story. None of the girls had normal blood. Roeder had written to Drinker finally that, quote, Your preliminary report is rather a discussion with tentative conclusions based on evidence, much of which is necessarily circumstantial. The two wrote furiously back and forth, until finally Roeder seemed to calm Drinker by stating that they were almost out of business and probably shutting their application studios. Roeder's, like, reply is such a, like, a, you're a fucking idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, of course. It's, yeah. Wait, so he was saying that they're almost out of business anyway? He yeah, was just he was trying. Saying. He was probably be like, yeah. He was just trying to be like, well, we're probably gonna close anyway. So, I mean, it's not even that fuck big off. of a deal. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. off, basically. But that's yeah. not true, right? I'm sure. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. No, no. No, they were killing. Oh, it. what a fucking pussy ass, futile fucking. Ugh. That's yeah, I mean, like, like their business was being hurt, but you know, because they were like losing workers and stuff, but they were still fucking making bank. I'm sure that's yeah. like Weinstein coming out on a fucking walker and with a cane during his fucking trial. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Exactly like that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's playing off of like sympathy and like, it, it, disgusting. it's something it's like that nobody Kate... feels bad for you, bra. That's like, so <laughs> like true sociopath is just trying to mimic you know what 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 derives sympathy or what is it you know yeah well drink drinker's a weird guy because kate moore mentions in his book that he like he sympathized with rotor um as a businessman and i'm sure they were buddies in some way or like they were they were buddies but it was i don't know it's just this like strong i mean obviously their acquaintanceship business was good because he hired drinker to do the report so well, you know, yeah, he, I think it's all. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying he he hired Drinker to do do the investigation, so he probably knew that there was some sort of influence he could, like. Drinker sounds like a bitch anyway. Yeah. He kind of he kind of is a little bit like he does the right thing in the end, but he also well actually I don't even know he's I don't know he's, man. he's a bitch to begin with. He's yeah. kind of he's complicated, you know. Like it's yeah, yeah it's weird. Um, Kate Moore, she doesn't paint him in a super great light. Like, he does some good things, but he also does some, like, I don't know. Yeah, very questionable. But I I think, I don't know, it's just that, like, capitalist, like, like, businessman to businessman. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, you know. Old chap. Like, he knows it's wrong, but it's it's just, yeah. I don't know. Drinker! Fucker! But this He's going to not... be a drinker after this. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this was not the end of it. Wiley and Dr. Hamilton needed to get their hands on the drinker report. They asked John Roach from the Department of Labor for a copy of the report, which John informed them that he had seen the report and it cleared the company. Hamilton wrote to the drinkers, who she knew professionally and personally. She asked if they thought Roeder would submit a false report in their names. Both drinkers were shocked to find that Roeder had done just that. He had lied 
and passed off a false report as the final ruling. Ooh. It's so and funny because because uh, Hamilton like wrote it because she she knew that Rotor lied, but she was trying yeah. to kind of placate the drinkers a little. So she was she just very like it was like, do you think what that you Rotor think? would do something like submit a false report in your names? Like it's just it was very she funny. Was, oh, was she fucking with them? She wasn't fucking with them, but she was. I don't she knew know, how she to play tr- the game. Yeah, she was trying to kind of play them, you know, like like get them riled up and you know, but also make it like she didn't know, you know. She's just like, do you really think he could do that? Do you think? Do you think Rotor is just he's capable of such a thing? And they're like, oh, yes, God. yes, he is. Yeah. <gasps> oh yeah, playing <laughs> dirty. Mm-hmm. When Roach discovered he had been given a false report, he was shocked as well. When he asked for the full report, Roeder used Marguerite's case as an excuse, saying he had to talk to USRC's lawyers in this matter. He refused to publish the drinker's report as well, citing the legal case again. Yeah, he cause he's, he's he's starting to get like people kind of honing in on him. Yeah, and so then he's like. Gotta talk to my lawyers. Sorry, you, you have to go through my lawyers. So it's like he, he kind of he like retreats to that like those ramparts. Oh yeah, of lawyers. like he yeah. thought he thought he was fucking hot shit until this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it. It like should he have could, he, I didn't handle this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the walls are closing in for sure. Yeah, Good. not as fast as you, as you'd like though. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Drinker confronted Roder in his office in New York and they made a deal that Rotor would give Roach the whole report if Drinker did not publish it. This works well for Rotor. Since the report was not publicly published, the Carlo lawyers would not have access to it, and the report could not be used in court to bolster the connection between radium and Marguerite's illness. Since Drinker was no longer—go ahead. Oh, uh, no, it's just that businessman-to-businessman thing again, you know, like, he, he oh, makes yeah. a deal. That's disgusting. Yeah. Since Drinker was no longer on his side, he needed to find another expert to help with the lawsuit. And we finally get to the prince of fuckers, Dr. Frederick Flynn. Oh, this fucking asshole. Flynn was also an expert in industrial hygiene and had done work for radium companies in the past. He examined some of the girls and told them they were perfectly healthy, despite the symptoms some were beginning to experience. Flynn would act as USRC's expert now. All the while, Marguerite's condition was worsening. She weighed 90 pounds, almost all of her teeth were gone, and her head was essentially rotting. She was alive, but barely. Yeah, that's and that's the thing, um, Kate Moore, you know, she just makes sure to to let you know that description, like her head is is literally rotting from the inside. Yeah. It's, yeah. Dr. Hoffman finally read his report to the American Medical Association, outlining the connection between radium and these illnesses. Hoffman laid out everything and asked that radium poisoning be added to the list of compensable diseases. But as radium was still considered a wonder substance in the public eye, the radium industry discredited Hoffman by saying that he was not a real physician and that his findings were unfounded. It didn't help that Hoffman's paper was overlooked by most people, though it did get some attention. It seemed the PR around the benefits of radium was too great, and Hoffman's authority 
was weak. Wiley and Hamilton needed someone with more clout behind them. They needed a hero. And got one a hero! (laughs) (laughs) And they got one in Dr. Harrison Martland. Ooh, Martland! Martland! Martland had just filled the position as Essex County Physician, and had been following the dial painter's cases and had even talked to some of the doctors. When the chief chemist of USRC, Dr. Lehman, died on June 7, 1925, Martland suspected radium poisoning. Martland, Von Sahaki, who had no ties to USRC now, and a member of USRC conducted an autopsy on Lehman. Martland had devised a test that could measure the amount of radiation in the human body, the first of its kind. They made a deal with USRC where they would help with the tests as long as Martland kept the results private. The test, which required reducing Lehman's bones to ash and testing the ashes with an electrometer, found that Lehman's remains were extremely radioactive. Martland went to visit Marguerite in the hospital and found that her sister, Sarah Myleffer, was in bad shape too. After some tests, he admitted her to the hospital as well. Martland wanted to test the girls for radiation, but since the test he had created only worked on ashes from bones, they had to devise something else. Von Sahaki and Martland came up with two revolutionary tests. One measured radon gas in the breath, and the other measured radium emitting from the skeleton using an electroscope. Wow. When they went to test the girls, Sarah was now worse off than Marguerite was. They moved her to another unit to conduct their tests. She struggled to help them, but she fought on, and when the tests were complete, they knew for certain she was radioactive. Only a week after being admitted to the hospital, on June 18, 1925, Sarah had died an agonizing death. As Moore writes, New bruises bloomed on her body, blood vessels bursting under her skin. Her mouth would not stop bleeding. Pus oozed from her gums. Her bad leg was a constant source of pain. Everything was a constant source of pain. She couldn't take it anymore. She became delirious and lost her mind. She was 35 years old. Martland went that day to the press, saying that he could not say for sure that radium poisoning was the cause of Sarah's and the other deaths, but he believed it to be true. It wasn't a matter of if he could prove it, but when. Ooh, Ooh. yeah. Yeah, Martland's fucking awesome, dude. This guy's like a just fucking, he's, he's a hero in, in a That's lot of tough. ways. Yeah, yeah man. Of course, USRC denied any responsibility for Sarah's death. When Martland did an autopsy on Sarah's body, the first dial painter to be autopsied, He found her entire body contained radium, from her bones to her organs. As Moore points out, radium emits three types of rays, alpha, beta, and gamma. One could protect themselves from gamma and beta rays with lead aprons, but alpha rays were thought to be harmless as they had the shortest rays, believing they couldn't penetrate the skin. Alpha rays are also the most dangerous, however, The girls had no protection from any rays, and when they ingested even the smallest amounts, the alpha rays did their deadly work right in their bodies. Jesus, like, that's just the the craziest thing, right? It's like really short rays that don't hurt you and can't penetrate the skin. 
but like they're eating it and then those horribly deadly rays are just like inside your body just like emitting yeah it's it's just like it's the worst case scenario yeah it's the thing you shouldn't fucking do (laughs) yeah it's wild they also found that sarah's body would be radioactive for centuries due to radium's 1600 year half-life dr drinker found the results of martland's tests encouraging and decided to go ahead and publish his report even though rotor had threatened to sue if he did the Drinker Report was published in August 1925. Finally, Jesus. Yeah, almost wow. over a year, I think, after it was originally submitted. Mm-hmm. Martland tested Marguerite, Catherine Schaub, Grace Fryer, and Quinta, finding that they were all radioactive and receiving the even more devastating news that it was incurable and they would inevitably die from the radiation. Despite this... They now had ammunition against USRC in the lawsuit to come. And that's where we'll pick up for next time. Oh, oh my goodness. That was awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. But exciting. Yeah. Um, exciting. It is. Yeah, actually, the, the next episode or two, um, we're really going to get into the court cases, which is like, it's... Her- it's it like sounds the, boring, but it's harrowing. It's the big oh, part of no, the story. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's a huge... It's I want to like, hear how these fuckers go down. It's dude. This the the court cases are where you see the worst of of the the company. Like you see you see them at their most evil, Man. like fucking backstabbing. Just it's it's insane. What, what what's the what's the head of the company's name again? So right now it's Arthur Roder. Yeah, Roder. I hope he cries and shits his pants in front of everybody. <laughs> he he kind of gets his druthers, but. I mean, not really. No, no. He's still fucking no, no. rich. Yeah, like nobody does jail time for this shit. You know? Mm, yeah. I mean, it's like fucking, you know, it's just like big corporate big corporations or the heads of them. I mean, like they rarely go to prison for this for shit like do. this. I yeah. Know. So fucking bummer. Bummer city. Yeah. Yeah, bummer dude. City. Um yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be the next couple couple episodes on the court cases are going to be amazing because you just see a lot of villains, but you see a lot of heroes. You know, you see a lot That's of people. Awesome. As you see the worst of humanity, you also see the best of humanity on display. Yeah, you do. It's it, it's yeah. which makes it such a uh, interesting story. We, we won't try to get too bogged down in the court, like all the legal stuff, but the court cases and what happens in the courtroom is is going to be a vital and it's honestly like a really kind of thrilling part of the story. It is yeah. my my jaw dropped at a couple points. I was like, <sighs> "Yeah," like, and you all and you also get to see these girls like confront testify. face yeah. face yeah. on, um, you know, these Good. fucking assholes. Yeah, as they're falling apart, poor things. Yeah, it's it's yeah. awful. Yeah. So yeah, I guess anything else? I mean, there's not much to talk about right now until the next episode. But yeah, That's yeah, truly fascinating though. I'm very excited. Yeah, and um, and if anybody's got confused with characters, um, we can definitely kind of post a little, a cast of characters thing. Yeah, a little list of who's who. So as we've talked about so far, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely yeah. let us know. And oh man, I'm so excited for the court cases. Ooh, it's gonna be so fucking cool. <laughs> but bad too, really bad. Oh yeah, it's still it's fucking awful. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of like that's where a lot of horrific shit happens too. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. 
So I guess we should do socials. Yeah. <laughs> so you can follow us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, on Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, on Twitter at Pendulum underscore pod. Uh, now on TikTok. That's right. These these what? oldies are these oldies are giving it a go. We are. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We just <laughs> started TikTok. So you can find us uh, on TikTok at Under the Pendulum. And you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. You can find me, Heather, on Facebook, Heather Thomas, Instagram, h.n.thomas, Twitter at Heather W. Thomas, and you can hear my narrations on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Creepy, and Tales to Terrify. And you? you can find me on um, Instagram under Frothy Star Dog. And you can find me on Instagram uh, under Christopher Weber 13V and on <laughs> Facebook by searching for Christopher Weber. Nice. Yeah, dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry that we are, we're stretching this out for, for you guys, but it, it'll be worth oh, it. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, oh, it's yeah. Yeah. We, we did try to do the two parts, but it was, it, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, I'm like, kind of at the edge of my seat. This is like old radio style, like. You tune in next week, but then you're like, no! <laughs> you didn't get out of the cock-a-duty car! <laughs> <laughs> you all have amnesia! <laughs> uh, yeah. No, we wanted to do the story justice, I think, uh, Heather, yeah. would, Heather and I, when we read the book. Um, yeah. And by the way, the book is The Radium Girls, The Dark Story of America's Shining Women by Kate Moore. Highly recommended, um, yep. but it just had such a like big reaction on us both. I think we decided we really wanted to do it justice, as far as a mm-hmm. you know, as, as a podcast can. Yeah, yeah. That isn't like you know, eight hours long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, please tune in for next episode. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Wear sunblock. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>